0: hello and welcome back to NO and JB Sports pedigree. We're here to provide some more insight on a wide variety of sports topics NBA to UEFA Champions League, NCAA hoops, the NFL and anywhere in between. Don't want to mess around. I'm excited to get to it today and I uh, do want to do want uh, have a shout out to all the fans out there folks that have downloaded and checked us out. We are so grateful and humbled absolutely um, yeah, We appreciate we, it. yeah we're so grateful. Uh, so thank you guys continue listening and we appreciate all the feedback uh keep it coming so let's dig right in i'm jb
1: and i'm the one and only no jb yes sir the nba season is back oh yeah however what i want to discuss is why two of the last three nba champions were not super teams
0: mm, that is intriguing
1: i mean absolutely And it's only right that I start by personally defining what I consider to be an NBA super team.
0: Okay, okay.
1: A team who has multiple star players. We're talking at least two all-star and borderline Hall of Famers. And one or more of those stars were acquired via trade or free agency.
0: Okay, that makes sense.
1: So the 2014-2015 Warriors can't be considered a super team. Obviously, when they added KD things changed sure who would you consider the first NBA super team to be let's say within the last 20 years
0: well for for me I always think about the team that really started it was the Boston Celtics with Kevin Kevin Garnett Paul Pierce Ray Allen I feel like that was the first group that really decided hey let's come together kind of join up team up and I really felt like that led to you know, next LeBron feeling like he had to do it with the Heat, and kind of just uh, snowballed into what we see nowadays.
1: Yeah, absolutely. What about absolutely. you? You know, you could you could throw the '03 4 Lakers in there, but
0: oh you know, yeah, yep.
1: Gary Payton, Carl Malone, a little bit over the hill. Yeah. So I could see how they might not have been considered a super team, but they did have four Hall of Famers on that team, obviously with Kobe and Shaq. Um, but back to the present. Mm-hmm. You know, with the two of these last three champs, obviously I'm talking about 2019 with the Toronto Raptors and this past season with the Milwaukee Bucks, obviously the Raptors had Kawhi Leonard, right? Yes. He's obviously going to the Hall of Fame in the distant future, yep. but they also had Kyle Lowry, who's an incredible point guard. Great defense. He is. Yeah, he's Runs underrated. The team. Very good shooter. Clutch player. And Pascal was the up-and-coming uh, long wing player, could defend a lot of positions, was yep. becoming a very good scorer as well.
0: Sergi Baca. Uh,
1: Sergi Ibaka, you know. Um, compare that team with the 2021 Milwaukee Bucks. They had Giannis as their star player, obviously still there. Um, had a sidekick, Chris Middleton. And they added Drew Holiday. Um, mm-hmm. They also had very key, very key. They also had a big man who could shoot, kind of like Ibaka. With
0: that's true, Lopez. Lopez. You know, Lopez and people forget he, he averaged like twenty and ten for. In fact, I think he's still Brooklyn's all time leading scorer, if I'm not wow. mistaken. Yeah, we might have to we might have to fact people, check that. People, yeah, people forget that he was uh, he was dominant for a bit, but yeah, certainly not that caliber of a player anymore. So none of those guys you're mentioning there are sidekicks I would consider to be like all pros or future Hall of Famers.
1: Absolutely, which mean, which brings you to the question, how did these teams win championships? And for me, you start off with these teams, how they're built, and the concept of toughness from the general manager down with both of these teams um, was very prevalent. Mm. Um, team first mindset.
0: Mm-hmm
1: defending and pieces of the puzzle that surrounded their star player, right? Every, yep. Both of these teams had players who, uh, complimented their star very well. Yep. Also, as you go down the roster in depth chart of both of these teams, they had guys who knew their roles and fully accepted their specific roles. Absolutely. So, you know, these are reasons why you would say, okay, the Bucks and Raptors—they could have won a championship. However, mm-hmm. when it's all said and done, I believe that both of these teams won championships primarily because of injuries. There it is. To other teams and their superstars. Yeah. Uh, when you look at Golden State in 2019, you think about the NBA Finals. Uh, Clay and KD out. Uh, really put a huge onus on Steph to make every play. I remember watching Mm -hmm. that series, like Steph is gonna have to do everything offensively. Mm, Yep, 45. Uh, It's gonna have to, Draymond, yeah, absolutely. Draymond's gonna have to shut down everybody on the court, you know, not having KD and Clay's defense. Those are two incredible defenders on the perimeter. Yeah. So you look at those injuries, then you move forward to 2021. And there were so many teams with injuries. You look at Brooklyn. (laughs) <laughs>
0: uh, everybody like every everybody, team Phoenix their star player had
1: injuries throughout the playoffs and that's who Milwaukee met in the finals you think about Denver with uh Jamal Murray being out and obviously the Lakers and their multiple injuries sure. so for me I think injuries are the biggest reason uh these two teams were able to win championships how hmm. do you feel about
0: it Yeah I I can't argue with that The only thing I will say is Injuries are a part of the game, naturally. That's why they play them, you know, and uh, as I've heard many a times, the best ability is availability. So unfortunately, um, folks get hurt. And uh, because in reality, at this point, at that point in the season, too, everybody's banged up. And I realize there is a difference between being hurt and being injured. um, But. Uh, that's a part of it. You're not going to look back over the years and there's not going to be an asterisk for the bucks just because they played teams that, you know, had injured players. So yeah, right. you are probably right though. I mean, that is the main reason. The other thing though, that comes to mind, especially when you brought up that 0304 Lakers team is the team that they lost to in the finals mm. is really comparable to, to these couple of teams, those, that right. Detroit Pistons team, where you Toughness, had, yeah, defense. exactly, Chauncey Billups was, I guess you would consider really the star, but you had Ben Wallace. Ben Extremely Wallace was a unselfish. star just because he was a monster rebounder. Extremely selfish. Uh, yeah, and you had Rip Hamilton, who, yeah, he was a all-star, but by no means was he a, you know, Hall of Famer. I mean, he was a heck of a player. Tayshaun Prince, these guys, again, knew their roles, pretty Can't athletic. And, of course, Rasheed oh she man that brings back some memories but yeah so i think yes injuries but i think the team chemistry aspect is really overlooked the coaching aspect of it of and i really liked what you said about from the gm down because i think that's something we often forget the guys that put these pieces together and when they have that game plan for you know how to fit it the puzzle like like you mentioned bringing in um Holiday, I mean, what a pickup that guy is. And the intensity that he led with on defense for the Bucks in the finals, Absolutely. for me, that was the difference. Of course, Giannis is going to do what Giannis does, but you can't do it by yourself. And to have him just, I mean, even when he wasn't shooting great, you knew that he was going to shut down whoever he's guarding. And I think similarly, Kyle Lowry, the same type of mentality at that point guard position, um, I think that's huge. So, yeah.
1: No doubt the culture starts from the top down right the culture starts from the top down what about the culture of striking out in baseball jb oh wow (laughs) why are baseball players striking out that is a teams seem to be okay with it why
0: that is that is a culture huh i mean it's crazy (laughs) right like uh how you feel (sighs) well for me it's uh it's pretty unfortunate it's it's not the most fun to watch i get it uh chicks dig the long ball and I know mm. it's part of its, uh, part of its coaching and how these kids coming up now are being taught. For their, it's all about exit velocity and also launch angle. So they're looking right. to hit long balls. I mean, nobody steals bases anymore because they don't want to get thrown out in case somebody hits a long ball. Part of it, too, though, is the pitchers. Um, okay. And really, a big part of it the velocity. What do you mean? So the velocity that these guys are throwing now, and I know if you watch baseball, like, everybody throws 95. It's not just how it used to be when I was coming up where you had, you know, your ace pitcher and maybe a couple guys out of the pen. They were mid to high 90s. Literally every dude is throwing mid-90s. And not only that, their off-speed stuff is more volatile and and more improved. So some stats to back this up, 2005 – Strikeout rate in the major leagues was 16.4%. Okay. What do you think it was last year? Any guesses? Whoa, Lord, 20%. Not quite, 24%. So, Goodness gracious. So <laughs> one out of every four times somebody comes up to the plate, they strike out. In addition Whoa, to that, Lord. walks are up as well. So you're looking at, I want to say it's 35 36% of the time when somebody comes up to bat, they are not making contact with the ball. So it's kind of boring, in my opinion. And then Different style of game. And and just to back up some of the talk about the velocity, and a lot of this, too, is, you know, we have new workouts, we have new regiments to build strength. They start earlier. I get it. Um, A lot of it is physiological and just, you know, the stuff that we've learned over the years. So this past year, the average fastball speed in the SEC conference in college, because, you know, this starts from the bottom up, 91 miles an hour, and just for perspective, that was the average fastball in the majors in 2007. Goodness so gracious. how far it has come is pretty crazy. What do you What do you think about it?
1: Well, I think it's the difference between analytics versus traditional baseball wisdom, right? Analytics mm. Analytics would say that home runs are the most efficient way to score runs, right? And home mm-hmm. run hitters garner the bigger contracts. That's very true. More players are changing that launch angle, as you alluded to, and swinger for the fences. You take a player like Joey Gallo, right? Joey, Joey Gallo. Gallo. Joey Gallo, right? Played most of the season last year for the Texas Rangers. He hit 38 home runs, JB.
0: That's solid.
1: 77 RBIs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's not bad. Yeah. It, 199 batting average and over 200 strikeouts. Oh, that's right. Right? And when you think about teams around the MLB, most teams have a Joey Gallo or two, Mm. right? Guys with these types of numbers, and quite honestly, a lot of them have solid contracts. You're right. Uh, So this is the more modern type of player that teams are accepting. Uh, And to play on what you said about pitching, the less you see a pitcher, the tougher the matchup is for the batter. And with mm. all these young quality arms, that definitely plays a huge role. So, it's Man, not all point. about batter. The pitcher definitely plays a huge role in it. So, combination mm. between those analytics, traditional baseball wisdom, and great pitching, I would yeah. say those are the reasons.
0: I, I agree. I think that's a great point um, that it just adds on to the the pitching because how often do we see guys go past the sixth inning? at starters nowadays – uh, that's right. So that's one less time through the batting order they see them. But additionally, you've got these specialty pitchers, you know, so you're, you're, you're getting guys you may only see once or twice a year as opposed right. to in the past you may see them an extra few times. So you're right. That's a great point.
1: Yeah, the back end of these teams' bullpens are incredible.
0: Yep. Yes, sir. And all just flamethrowers. It's crazy. So what do you got today, you know, for, uh, for your personal segment? I'm excited to hear
1: (laughs) why I'm super critical of NFL QBs.
0: Oh, you are. Who
1: knows me personally (laughs) knows that I'm very critical of NFL QBs. You know, QBs getting hyped up. Young QBs getting hyped up. I don't really get too involved in that. And it's very simple. I've been spoiled, JB. Yeah. I've been spoiled by QBs since I was about 13 years old. There was a QB by the name of Peyton Manning who came to my hometown when I was a kid.
0: I've heard of him before.
1: He's a pretty good player.
0: Yeah, he's pretty good.
1: When he joined my team, Coach went 3-13 his first season, you know. But year two, 13-3. And And from then on, while the Coats only won one Super Bowl, we all know, against the Chicago Bears, played in the rain down in Miami. They were a contender for over a decade, right? You knew the Colts were to be reckoned with for over a decade. We knew that Peyton Manning was going to be in the MVP conversation, and we knew that the team was going to be great because of him. Peyton Manning leaves, had the season where, you know, he had the neck injury, he left, we had a bad year. Then comes Andrew Luck. Mm-hmm. Andrew Luck takes the team to the playoffs as a full-time starter in year one. Yep. A couple years later, Colts are in the AFC championship game against the New England Patriots with Andrew Luck as the quarterback. The point I'm trying to make is it's hard to live up to my expectations as a quarterback, <laughs> being that I've watched Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck most of my life
0: i feel it i understand makes sense i know
1: i know that's not the right way to be (laughs) i know that i (laughs) i know that i need to be patient with other quarterbacks and and scale back my expectations because everybody's not the same everybody shouldn't be judged the same but it's tough for me and i'm going to admit that here and maybe i need to go to qb counseling but um (laughs) but um that's why i'm super critical of qbs what you got for your personal segment
0: We'll bring one in for you. Maybe maybe we'll find one for the next show. I appreciate it, man. So, <laughs> I definitely appreciate so, it. So I want to go a little bit uh, little bit out in, I don't know, right field. That's a baseball term, so that doesn't necessarily make sense. But um, been thinking a lot about the World Cup coming up next year, getting pretty okay. excited about that. That's Obviously, as I've previously mentioned, I'm a huge soccer fan. I know N.O. is probably actually more well-versed internationally for our U.S. soccer team than I am. I'm but ready to take this guitar trip. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> but, but from I've I've watched enough to where you know I'm certainly not an expert, but I know quite a bit about formations and things that I see when I watch the team. And I want to discuss why I think our U.S. men's national team should be playing a three-four-three. School so me, JB. Break that down as quick as I can because it's somewhat complicated, I guess. Uh, in reality, what that means, the formation is, you have your goalie. Goalie's not counted in the formation. That means you have three center backs, you have four midfielders slash wing players, and then you have three guys up top. The reason that this works is because it gives you flexibility to where you can, when you're on defense, you can have five guys at the back as opposed to four, which most teams play. And when you're attacking, those guys can on the sides can get all the way up front and attack. And you re- in reality, you can attack with six or, or more, honestly. Um, so, my obviously, my homer team, Chelsea, they play this formation. Uh, it started out, I believe, in Italy. Um, and there's a lot of teams, European clubs, and some national teams that play it. Uh, specifically for the U.S., I think this would be successful because right now you have – Dest, who plays right back, and he's an excellent young player. I mean, just he's a stud. However, he's not the strongest defensively at right back, and so putting him at a right wing back, meaning he's going to be able to get a little forward more, and there's not as much pressure on him defensively. Additionally, uh, in the formation, you would have your strongest midfielder play just in front of the center backs to kind of cover there. Most teams that you're going to play against have one striker up top. At most, they have two. Even if they have two, you still have three center backs back there, and so you're still going to have a numerical advantage. And then as you get forward, uh, you really work through the base of the midfield with that strong player, which for us would be Jordan Adams. Uh, You have Weston McKinney just in front of him. And then up top. Tyler Tyler, Tyler Adams. Tyler Adams. I'm sorry. Thank you. Um, Yep. Weston McKinney just in front of him, and really driving forward with your front three, you could alternate quite a few guys. And uh, obviously, I think Pulisic's going to be one of them, and, right. and kind of take your pick. But m- so between the two wingbacks, which would be Dest, and honestly, I'd probably put somebody like uh, Arroyo or um, uh, what's the kid's names? Is it Mesa? Me- it starts with an M. I apologize, but. Um,
1: we'll, we'll have that next show.
0: Yeah, they're traditionally midfielders. However, putting them in the role of a wing back, it's really just more about activity level, aggression, and willingness to show the effort on the defensive end more than it is necessarily a skill, I think. So if they're willing to run up and down the sideline of the field and get forward and get back. I think it works because I've seen it. I've seen other teams do it. So, having a guy like that over there um, on the left side, Dest on the right side, both of them getting forward to join with the front three and McKinney. And then, of course, if Adams can get up too, and then even one of your center backs, if you're possessing the ball, uh, you can essentially get, you know, seven, eight guys up in attack and then get, you know, five back plus your midfielders on defense. So,. Hopefully that wasn't too confusing. It probably would have been easier if I had to, you know, what's the the diagram like the guys do on ESPN. But, no, you did. Uh, yeah.
1: you, you, you explained that and articulated that very well.
0: I think it will work, dang it. Give it a shot.
1: JB knows his soccer. Coach Berhalter, Yes get a hold of this <laughs> and uh, take some notes. <laughs> Let's stick with the subject matter of soccer. All right. The U S men's national team, Mm -hmm. they've struggled competing internationally, most importantly in the world cup, of course, with the exception of the 2002 squad. The question is why I'll go first on this one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What what do you think?
1: Well, in the U S versus the rest of the world where soccer is King and by far the most popular sport, we have options, right? american football and basketball are by most publications the top two sports in terms of popularity baseball probably comes next and soccer is right in there with hockey and tennis in terms of spectator interest and participation for that matter um we have options growing up jb right our culture loves football our football yeah we know what that is and our culture loves basketball and they generate insane publicity and money. You yes, know. Sir. Plus both of these sports, generally speaking, you just need shoes for basketball. You need some cleats for football. Obviously the teams provide the pads. They're easy sports to access in certain communities. Mm-hmm. And, um, they're usually played generations on down the line. So, your big brothers probably played it. Your dad probably played it. Your grandfather's probably played it. It's just natural for you to play this sport before you play soccer. However, it, yep. if soccer was king in America, I could see a six ten Kevin Durant at goalie. Let's say oh we didn't my. have football oh my. basketball, right? In, in in a alternate world, we don't have football and basketball. KD has to play soccer. KD's playing goalie. You mm. got. Jalen Ramsey or Tre'Davious White as a central defender. (laughs) Man,
0: what about Christian McCaffrey on left wing?
1: Oh my gosh! Goodness (laughs) gracious! Incredible! (laughs) Incredible. And Russell Russell Westbrook,
0: (laughs) Russell Westbrook, Russell Westbrook as a striker.
1: Exactly. With with that, with that demeanor and aggression. Goodness gracious! How do you feel?
0: Yeah, uh, you hit it head on. Um, I mean, that's the number one reason. Um, It's just not. It's not as big of a deal here now that being said, I think from the time when I was a kid to where we are now, it has grown astronomically and uh, I've actually seen some experts and some you know trends people that track this stuff say that you know within the next 20 years that the MLS is going to be just as big as you know like the MLB um, but we'll see that's 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 to be seen um, but I think a big reason we have seen the growth is because of the youth, which you touched on. There are, uh, there are certain areas in our country now, which um, I know the Cincinnati area is one, some spots in Florida, of course California, that are just huge hotbeds. And there's really a lot more uh, emphasis on the youth level. And as we've seen, these kids are starting to come up through through the ranks and now on our national team. Um, some of the guys I mentioned. By the way, the the name of the the young man is uh, Musa. I'm really sorry for messing Moussa, that up. You, and he is. Absolutely. I've been so impressed watching him, his energy, uh, and his ability to to control the ball and willingness to defend. As I mentioned, um, is huge. So a lot of these guys now, uh, if you watch any of the last World Cup qualifying rounds, got Mexico coming up. By the way. Um, yes, November
1: twelfth. Yeah,
0: so they're like no, n- early twenties. Some of them teenagers, right? Musa included, Pepe included, and these guys are are like legitimate star players as opposed to years past where we we had Clint Dempsey, we had Landon Donovan, Tim Howard, and who the heck knew anybody else on the team? I mean, that's kind of how I, I looked at it. Uh, so the Good other point. big difference for me is not only are these kids they're They're youthful, they got energy, they're talented, they're playing all the time with their youth clubs. Mm. And they're playing for premier top-notch clubs. That's the biggest thing we've missed out on as well in the past. So we may have had guys that have gone off to Europe, gotten on some big teams, but then they sit the bench. And uh, one thing that is important is in a World Cup year, you got to be informed. So it's a great thing to go get a paycheck, be playing for a big club, get to be in Europe, what have you. But if you're not playing consistently and playing well, it's not doing you any good when it comes to international play because Absolutely. you're just you're not going to be. for every sport. Right? Yeah. So what I want to point out now is I have a lot of hope. I think this is going to change. I know you, I, you feel the same way, and I'm just going to run down a list of some of these guys, some of these teams. So we got. You got Dest playing, starting for Barcelona. You got Pulisic, when healthy, starts for Chelsea, the champions mm. of Europe. Weston McKinney starts for Juventus, uh, top club in Italy. Um, you've got Musa plays for Valencia. Like all these clubs, Tyler Adams. I mean, there's some guys that are on um, in the Bundesliga, which you is know, in Germany. You
1: know what the best thing is about all these guys, JB? Mm. They're all 24. Or
0: exactly, young. and they're all getting quality. Uh, minutes and playing consistently and that is gonna be the reason that we are gonna succeed next year in Qatar
1: I can't wait I really can't wait for the me too I'm excited
0: I'm excited so what what do we got up next we got a we got a new segment here you know
1: yes next segment that we have is athlete comparison
0: all right tell me about that what we doing?
1: in the athlete comparison segment we're going to compare two athletes. Um, they have to be the same sex. Okay. They have to have similar accolades, right? Okay. And those are really our two biggest rules for this segment, athlete comparison segment. Okay. okay.
0: So, I, so I can't compare, like, Peyton Manning and Rex Grossman? That wouldn't be fair?
1: Uh, well, you could compare that they played in the Super Bowl against each other, but uh, no. <laughs> Let's not do that comparison. I'll go All ahead right. and start off on this one. All right, let's uh, have it. I'm going to choose two female athletes. We'll give some love to the ladies tonight. All right. U.S. track athlete Jackie Joyner-Kersey. Ooh. Former tennis star Billie Jean King. Oh,
0: wow. So I'll start okay. off with. All
1: right. Yeah, I'll start off with talking about Miss Billie Jean King's accomplishments she won 39 grand slam titles in tennis and for those of y'all that don't know there's four grand slams per year australian open u.s open wimbledon french open she had 12 singles titles 16 doubles 11 mixed doubles she had a 695 wins 155 losses career singles record she won six of her singles titles at wimbledon and fourth u.s open Mm. for those of y'all that don't recognize the significance of that to me that shows a lot of versatility in her game because wimbledon's played on grass and the u.s opens played on a hard court and many players that i've seen in my lifetime usually they're good on hard courts Mm. or on clay or on grass it's very rare the top-notch players that you see that can play on any surface so some high-quality accomplishments there. Let's switch over to Jackie Joyner-Cursey. She won okay. back-to-back gold medals in the heptathlon. Are you familiar with the heptathlon, Hept. Toby?
0: Hep-what-a-who? Uh, I think <laughs> it's a multi-events, multi right? Like Multi-events, mul- yeah. a lot of
1: events. Um, in the 88 Seoul Olympics and the 92 Barcelona Olympics, she took the gold medal in Man. the heptathlon. Seven-time medalist um at that 88 mm. Olympics in Seoul she also won gold in the long jump. Wow. Uh she actually still holds the world heptathlon record.
0: Wow, really? So that's like, you know, hurdles and you know, high jump and like high all jump, this different stuff, put. right? Okay.
1: Absolutely. So
0: that's like all-around athlete.
1: All-around athlete, absolutely. But do you know what made all of this more incredible on Jack from Jackie joyner kerseys perspective? Hmm, During her UCLA days, she was diagnosed with asthma.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Right. Before she became a professional track athlete, she was diagnosed with asthma. So when you look at both of these athletes, both of these ladies, um, they achieved greatness at its highest level in individual sports. Mm -hmm. Me, myself, you know, being basketball, football, track, I played team sports. Mm-hmm. You know, my entire life, obviously you could consider tracking individual sport, but basketball and football were my top sports. Playing mm-hmm. an individual sport requires rigorous training, uh, a lot of mental toughness. Yeah, that's right. And the longevity by which both of these ladies uh, achieve their greatness in, um, Jackie joyner Kersee being in multiple Olympics for many years, decades. Billie Jean King playing for over a decade hmm. my choice on the athlete who comes out on top in this comparison is neither I'm gonna give them. oh a draw. I'm gonna hmm. go with a draw for Jackie Jonah Kersey and Billie Jean King Wow okay what you got JB I'll, I'll let you slide on that. <laughs> this one See, time. See, i try to switch it over quickly. This one, what you got, yeah, JB? This one time. Yeah, we, hey, we got a draw today.
0: And you know what? We would definitely appreciate uh, some your opinions, so feel free to let us know your thoughts on these. So I'm Absolutely. not going to mess around here, okay? I'm just going to go right right to the top with mine. I'm going to compare Michael Jordan and Wayne Gretzky. Okay. Oh, we ain't messing around. All right. I'm going to start off with Wayne Gretzky, all right? Listen to these accolades. Most people know him as the great one, and there's a reason for that, okay? Obviously, he played hockey. For those of you who didn't know, he played hockey. Nine-time, nine-time most valuable player, 10 times scoring champ, most outstanding player of the playoffs twice, four Stanley Cups with two MVPs, Three-time Olympic gold medalist for his company, company, country as well, which is not something that I realized. So that's, you know, that's some longevity there too. Um, what really stuck out to me, uh, so when I was doing his research, take a guess how many hockey records this guy holds. Any guess?
1: Oh, Lordy. I don't, don't want to, you know.
0: 61. 61 records between, you know, most goals, most assists, most hat tricks, most points, fastest to, you know, I mean, I could go on, obviously, all night. So pretty tough to beat by any standards as far as accolades. Played for a long time, um, just a great leader, multiple teams, Edmonton, um, obviously L.A. So, yeah, now we get to Michael Jordan, who, You know, most consider to be the best basketball player of all time. So we're in a lot of in reality, we're talking about a guy that is considered by a lot of people to be the very best ever in their particular sport. So it's making pretty tough on me here. So Jordan, rookie of the year, five time MVP, six time champion and finals MVP every time. Ten times first team All NBA, which that's oh, only yes. only five guys make that squad. Ten times, nine time first team defensive, and won a defensive player of the year as a shooting guard. Don't see that too often. We all know, you know, the highlights and the slam dunks and the just the you know tongue wagon and the swagger. You realize that he actually averaged thirty point one points a game for his career. Uh, Excuse me. For his career. Like, he had a season early in his career. He averaged 37 a game. And I think for anybody that watched the last dance, he started to figure out he needed to share the ball to win. But still. uh, So his career stats were 30.1 points, 6.3 rebounds, and 5.3 assists. As a two guard, predominantly. Now, here's what really blew my mind for him. Not only averaging 30.1 points a game, His field goal percentage, 49.7. So it's not like he's shooting 35 40% from the field, just jacking up shots. He shot 50% from the field, shooting a lot of jumpers. And dunking on people. (laughs) And dunking on people, right. And 2.35 steals a game for his career. So I'm sure folks are going to have something to say on this one, but the biggest thing for me... I think the accolades-wise, to be quite honest with you, individually, they're pretty even. In fact, if you look at it, Gretzky may actually have the edge when it comes down to individual accolades and records. But for me, six times is a final, six times champ, six times MVP, I'm going to have to give it to Mr. Jordan.
1: Hey, MJ, with the dub. <laughs> <laughs>
0: He's used to that. Uh, yeah, That was a tough one, though. Honestly, it was a little tougher than I thought it was going to be uh, going into it. So, Well, everybody, it's, uh, it's, it's that time again. It's time for overtime. Time for some no-nos.
1: No-nos. Let's do it.
0: All right. So, I'm tired of asking everybody else questions. I'm going to ask a question of my own today, you know. Okay. What is your favorite sports movie?
1: Favorite sports movie. Mm-hmm. We're going to go with Major League.
0: Oh, that's a good one. We're, okay.
1: Yeah, that's a good one. Wild Thing. You got Pedro Serrano, Roger Dorn, Willie Mays Hayes. Man, Boy, so quotable,
0: one. right? Yo, Sester, food needs oh, you may run like Mays, but you hit like... So quotable.
1: Obviously, my favorite baseball team is the Cincinnati Reds. So, I, you know, I'm not a Cleveland Indians fan by any means. But <laughs> for the purposes of the movie, yeah, I, was saying, I was fine with it. For that,
0: for that time frame of, you know, however long the movie is,
1: yeah, I was rooting for them.
0: And they were playing the Yankees anyway. so
1: They know. were. They were playing the Yankees, absolutely. Um, if I had to do a close second, it would be Loving Basketball.
0: Okay. All right.
1: Loving Basketball is right there with major league
0: Okay, so uh, just as a refresher because I failed to mention this at the beginning um, for no no's each week we have a question could be from the uh, fans writing in um, or just one that I have uh, that I think is a good one typically we'll try to keep them sports related then we're going to have a team Um, it's going to be a popular team well known team could be a championship team Could be a homer pick, and we're going to see how many players off of that team that N.O. can guess in a minute. Certainly encourage you to play along. I believe currently the record is 17, um, so we're going to try to beat that. And then finally, we're going to do a name that player segment. Again, we we hope you to play along and going to go down some somewhat uh, obscure-ish facts about a player (laughs) to try to allow N.O. to guess it um, and see how long it takes. So. We're going to move into the uh, name that team spot here. So I I mentioned the New York Yankees. Okay. So we're going to go with the 2000 World Series Championship New York Yankees, as much as I hate them. Are you ready?
1: Oh, lordy.
0: Might be a little tough. Might be a little tougher this week on you. We'll see.
1: We'll, We'll definitely get a few of them.
0: All right. And we are starting the clock now.
1: I'm gonna start off with some pitchers: Mariano Rivera, Andy Pettit, mm-hmm. David Cohn, yep, Roger Clemens, yep, Mike Stanton. Mm-hmm. Let's move to these bats. Obviously, Derek Jeter, mm-hmm. Tino Martinez, Chuck Knoblauch, Jorge Posada. Bernie Williams was the center fielder. Paul O'Neill was. was in the outfield.
0: Yes, he was. Red I feel legs. like
1: David Justice was on this team. Oh, he
0: was. Good one.
1: Jimmy LaRitz? Yeah. I'm pretty sure a young Alfonso Soriano was on this team.
0: Uh, I'm looking. I'm, I'm checking. Keep going. I'm looking for him.
1: Hmm. Oh, Scott Brocious was the third baseman.
0: Yep. Yep. Let you me got see. It.
1: That's, Jose Vizcaíno.
0: Um... Currently, we're at 14, and that's time. So okay. I don't see – I mean, that's good. You know, that's tough. Um, like to hear how anybody else did. If anybody beats him, we'll have to I – I don't I don't. believe you because I don't think I could have got that many. Some key <laughs> ones that maybe you missed. I'm not seeing Soriano. I think he may have been that next year, either that, or he's just not listed on the World Series roster.
1: Okay. Um, Pretty sure he was on that team.
0: Okay. So that would be 15 for you. Orlando Hernandez, that was a pretty – well-known one, Louis Soho, if you remember oh, him. Oh, El Duque. Yeah, and Dwight Gooden. How about that end of Dwight his career? Dwight Gooden, yeah. wow. Yeah, old Doc, old Doc. So good job, though. Well done. Appreciate All it. All right, and lastly, we are going to go with the name that player.
1: Okay. All right, so I'm again,
0: ready. try to keep it obscure. All right, this player was actually born in Paris, France. He is a former... NBA player. All right, you ready for some uh, stats and whatnot? His uh, okay. listed height was six foot eight, 224 pounds. He was drafted in 1982, third overall, by the Jazz. Nine-time NBA All-Star. 1986 first-team All-NBA. Uh, he was. Uh, four-time NBA All-Star second team. Teams played for Atlanta Hawks, Los Angeles Clippers, Boston Celtics. It sure is. I was trying to not have to go to the the nicknames, but, yeah, I didn't know he was actually born in Paris. So here's some uh, career stats. You know, a lot of people say that he is the most underrated player of all time, potentially. Absolutely. I mean, because he's He's going against Jordan, right? He, he averaged 24.8 points and 6.7 rebounds a game. Um, was a pretty darn good defender. Never really did a whole lot in the playoffs. I think that's probably why and, know, and absolutely, yeah.
1: You know, sometimes players get stuck in purgatory of not being on a great team. And at the end of the day, when their career is ending, it – comes back on them as an individual player, you know, exactly. for some reason. We you always realize, hold it. okay, yep. basketball is a team sport. You need a team to win, right? Yep,
0: absolutely. You are correct. Well, I guess that's a wrap for today. Um As always, we definitely appreciate you listening. Um, Thank you all for turning yeah, out. We are, we are blessed to be able to do this and hope to get to keep doing it. So keep listening, keep commenting, let us know what you think or if you got Ideas for show segments, because we got plenty, but we're always open.
1: Please, please let us know.
0: All right. Well, you guys have a great week, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.
1: We'll talk to you later. Have a good night. Bye-bye. Check it. We keep pushing forward when the light's dim. The flame still burns when the night ends. So it's time to get animated promptly. My passion's connotated as anger. Wrongly, since I'm as real as it gets, I won't take that. Might spew a couple of words I won't take back.